The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies in Disney Deciphered, fresh off his trip down to Oceana. If you listen to the end of the show, you heard a little Easter egg. I don't know how to say that, Joe, but welcome back. Thank you so much. I think it's Oceania, but I don't know. Exactly. I, I, only, I don't know how I to say it. only type it, so. yeah. No, it I probably don't... is Oceania. See, I can't, I can't do it. And I accidentally left a little clip of me screwing that up at the end of the show. I didn't even do it on purpose. Last week, it's, nice. It's, yeah, it was like an outtake, but not a purposeful one because I can't nice. say that word. Yeah. So, yes, uh, we are back. Super jet lagged, although we were we came back through California. We were at Disneyland for a couple of days. And, you know, coming back from the South Pacific, which is easier to say than Oceania. you know. Than I agree. I, I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, just go go with that. You know, we cover a lot of things. We you leave at like 10 a.m. and then you arrive in California at like 7 a.m. So it's really tough for your clock. It's way harder going east. You know, studies have shown with jet lag. So what we did was we tried to we did a whole day of Disneyland after we landed and didn't sleep. And I thought that had helped us kick the jet lag. But it is 1 p.m. Eastern as we are talking right now. And everyone in my family, except for me just woke up so i think we're still jet lagged and luckily it's still summer for a couple of weeks so we'll have some time to deal with it or maybe they're all just exhausted from you making them stay up all day uh, to go to disneyland yeah i think it's a little of both that first so after that first day at disneyland they slept for like 15 hours so and but we had been waking up at 10 a.m you know those days in california we've been waking up at like 9 10 a.m we hadn't been rope dropping or anything which is around 1 p.m eastern so I think they're just on a California schedule now, mostly. And I, I do think we have a lot of sleep to make up on. That that, that that flight back east is just rough because, you know, you're just in the middle of the day. You don't want to sleep, um, but you kind of need the sleep because when you get back, it's daytime. A flight of that length is always going to be rough no matter what, no matter what cabin you're flying in. And I'm excited to hear about the sky couch, to hear about how you got there, how you got back, all the the fun stuff, or at least the the highlights of the trip and what you would do differently, what you enjoyed uh, and all of that. But I guess just taking a trip like that is exhausting by itself, you know, at the end. So you got to just kind of recover and then throw in the jet lag and <laughs> and marathoning Disney at the end. And, you know, yeah, I, I feel for way, <laughs> the only way to end a trip. Uh, why don't you I, I got a question for you, actually, before we start. So I'm going to be doing a lot of talking. But uh, why don't you do like all the plugs and stuff so we can get to it? Yeah, for uh, for this show, just as a reminder, mtmpodcast.com. That's where you can find links to subscribe also, apply for cards if you want to support the show. So you can find everything at mtmpodcast.com. So uh, there, there's the plugs. Uh, Joe, they can find you. Uh, we, we don't usually plug it. Yeah, we don't need to plug me. You know, you, know, yeah. you always start with, uh, okay, I've I know. been 21 days straight, podcast-free. No Disney Deciphered, no Miles to Memories. It's been beautiful. But, you know, uh, producer Joe is back and ready for you to start with the podcast links at the beginning, which I was off of work 
totally podcast wise but unfortunately sean or fortunately i was thinking of you on my trip um and so i had some questions for you because i realized that like you know this it was essentially a 17 day trip that we took and it was like exhausting it was a real grind i was like we should have booked in you know when we talk about disney world you always say like oh you should book in a rest day i was thinking like on this trip we went to new zealand uh, if you don't know, we went to New Zealand, Australia, watched World Cup, Women's World Cup games, and both of those, and then we capped things off at Disneyland. And I was thinking we should have built in rest time. And I was curious for you, Sean, because you've been like traveling around the world for the last year or so, it must be pretty different, right? The difference between planning like a two week trip and just like planning a month long trip, because the month long trip is almost like you're like living there. And then the other thing I was like, I was like, we didn't know like tourist research before we went, except for Lord of the Rings stuff. But, uh, you know, we did no tourist research. And I was like, how, how did you handle all that when you were traveling and you were just like on the road all the time? Well, it's like a, a job, right? And that's like cliche. A lot of people who travel full time, they say it's a job, not a vacation. And that's really what it becomes because you have to schedule in downtime. So days off from traveling, just days where you don't do anything. You also have to do like all the other stuff that you normally would have to do, like deal with your life. Uh, back home paying bills. Uh, of course, laundry is, oh man, laundry is the worst because you're always sort of trying to chase it down. And it depends on the country because some countries don't have laundromats and everything is full service. Uh, some places, you know, it's super, super expensive to do laundry. So that's always a problem. So you just got to kind of do it. And if you don't schedule downtime, you'll burn out really quickly because the thing about travel, we can all love travel. We can all love seeing things and all that other stuff. But if you're tired and you're pushing yourself too hard, the enjoyment get sucked out pretty quickly. So it's very different, I think, than vacation where you, you know, pack everything into a, a shorter period of time and, and just, you know, go, go, go. But you can sort of treat it the same way in spurts as well. So you're, I'm in a place for a week, I'm going to do everything, but then you need downtime, you need to kind of approach it differently long term. Yeah, I was thinking that like two weeks is kind of right on the edge of like a long term trip and you know, what people might call a vacation. Um, and, you know, or travel or whatever, because the last day in Sydney, uh, we went to the Blue Mountains, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But before we left, I was like, I don't want to do anything like I'm just I'm just done. And thankfully, you know, it's funny you bring up the laundry thing. Sydney, we had laundry in the unit, um, but we stayed at the Park Hyatt in Auckland and there was no laundry. like the closest laundromat was like a 25 minute walk. And I only told the kids, I was like, we'll, we'll find laundry somewhere. So like we had everyone pack only five days worth of clothing and we were there for six days. Um, and so have you ever looked at the full service laundry at like, not just, not just the park Hyatt, but like at any place, like, have you seen it's the nuts. cost? It's like $18 per t-shirt. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. So that, we, we've done that. So our fallback is we're always trying to kind of stay ahead. And then if we are in a hotel that has laundry and we're there for a few days, we might do laundry at the beginning and the end. We're always trying to take advantage of easy laundry. And then sometimes you just get stuck. And then sometimes, you know, if you're in a bad place and you know in two days you'll be in a better place, you just do your clothes by hand a uh, couple days that's worth exactly of clothes. That's exactly what we did. Yeah, that's not, what we Not that I would call did. the Park Hyatt Auckland <laughs> a bad place, but I was like, I'm not paying I'm not paying $100 for four T-shirts uh, to wash them, you know, because I'm sure they throw in tip and stuff like that too. So we did it by hand and uh, survived Wore, you know, I was like, kids, you can wear your pants a second time. It'll be fine. You know, we'll just, we'll just wash your shirts. I'm sure we're not like the that. only two people to wash clothes in the sink of a five-star hotel. I'm sure, I'm sure others have done exactly the same thing. 
Yeah, I wonder. I, I like. I was wondering, like, what housekeeping th- thinks. You know, when they come in and like all your clothes are like hanging on the bathtub and stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's just uh, tr- life things, life things. But yeah, laundry is like probably like the most important thing to me while we're traveling. Um, and then for us, it was it was also tricky too. Uh, we went carry on only. Um, which, you know, which you doing for like months at a time is even crazier. But, you know, we were carry on only, but we had to pack winter clothes and summer clothes because of California. So it was a little tricky there. There was like shorts that we like never even used until like the last couple of days. But yeah, let's get into it. Uh, the trip was too long to really go over every single thing. But I was I thought what might be useful for people, and we do this stuff like this sometimes on Disney Deciphered for Disney trips, and uh, we're not going to talk too much about the Disneyland stuff because you we can talk about that another time. But I wanted to talk about things that I would do the same and that I would do differently. Um, so we'll start with uh, the Sky Couch, the Air New Zealand Sky Couch. Sean, you want to remind people what that is if they hadn't heard you know our initial planning stuff? It's basically what it sounds like, right? I mean, Air New Zealand has the ability to book uh, a group of seats together that can convert into a couch. And uh, I'm not still quite sure how all the mechanisms work, Joe. So I'm really interested to hear how exactly it converts into this couch. But basically, it looks as it sounds, like a like a couch in the sky and uh, a nice upgrade, I guess, from coach. Not quite like what you would find in business class, but, you know, uh, being able to kind of like lay across the three seats. That's kind of my envisioning. Yeah, you got it. It doesn't like, I actually wonder, you know, for someone like your size and to be honest, I never lay down on the sky couch, um, but I'll, I'll describe it. I think it's five foot one, like across. So someone your size would definitely have to curl up. And even my wife, who's like five, four, she had to curl up a little bit to fit it. But the way it works is, you know, when you normally sit in an economy seat, and the pitch in front of you is the same as like a normal economy seat, not like the narrow body nasty ones like AA was introducing, but like normal, like 32 inches or whatever. Um, but like in a normal economy seat, you know how like if you try to kick your legs back, there's just a hole there. Instead of that, there's actually like a footrest, uh, quote unquote, back there. So you can't actually like put your legs behind, uh, like tuck them under the seat. And then that footrest comes all the way up so that it's basically touching the seat in front of you and then that's what is used to form the couch and you can put like one up or you can put three up simultaneously the premium it worked out to be an extra so what we did we could have gotten two sky couches for about 175 more per person so um what's that i'm not good at math you know that like maybe like 900 dollars total um, yeah for five of you yeah yeah what we did was we got two sky couches plus we got one extra seat and for that it was about $1200 total now i should start by saying that the cash prices this is like the most expensive cash outlay we had on the entire trip were like an insane $1500 one way cuz this is the only flight we paid for with cash and so to me it's like if i'm already paying $1500 then an extra 200 or so per person to get the sky couch um and that one extra seat it's 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 not bad really if you think about it because what essentially happened is we bought if you think about it we're a family of five we essentially bought two extra seats for twelve hundred dollars um on a flight that was like fifteen hundred dollars anyway it worked out perfectly the two older kids were able to sleep on the sky couch like as if they were sharing a twin bed 
And they do that sometimes at home still because they're still pretty small. Um, so that worked. And then my wife shared with the five-year-old, and that was great. And I was the one who slummed it in the one extra seat. Um, and, you know, I, I slept a little. It's not that bad because it's like a red eye. You leave at 10 p.m. or whatever. The really stressful thing was, like, there was all these storms, and we were worried about not getting into Houston on time. And we just we just made it. Like, we got to the gate as they were boarding. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're going to fly – actually – my wife and I talked about it. It was um, a premium economy would have been a thousand two hundred extra per person, and at least for kids of our age, the Sky Couch was like way better because like premium economy, which I flew back on Qantas on the way back, you can't lie flat, um, and so you really can't rest as comfortably. So I thought I thought it worked out pretty well. Like I think uh, I'm not sure how tall Jasmine is, but I think for like Ellie and Jasmine, it would work out perfectly. I, you might just want to slum it in the extra seat anyway, because maybe you wouldn't be able to stretch out. You're a lot taller than I am. Yeah. I think it comes down to like, we've all been on empty planes where we try to stretch out across the row. And obviously with me, my feet are sticking way out or, you know, I'm having to kind of bring my knees in. So I can kind of envision how that would be. But of course you don't have that hole where the, you don't have that hole where the foot would be. So, you know, you have a little bit more space. It looks great. It seems like it's made for like a situation like yours with small kids with being able to, you know, really take advantage of that as a seat. And uh, compared to just having a normal economy seat, it does sound like a like a great deal in a very specific circumstance. I don't know, like, I, if I was to do that personally, I, I don't know if it would make enough of a difference for me, but maybe it would. Uh, but, you know, getting my, yeah, my feet, I that's the thing, is those feet, that's just hard to get them. When you're six foot two, it's hard yeah, to, that whole extra foot. Yeah, exactly. See, I definitely saw there were at least two women who were like average height, like five, 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 six that had definitely bought the sky couch for themselves. The other interesting thing is that when you get the sky couch, like included with it, quote unquote, is they give you actually bedding and a nicer comforter and nicer pillows. And actually we, one of our sky couches didn't come with it. Um, but the flight attendant was nice enough to like, it's, I guess it's the same stuff that they use in the crew rest areas. And so she got some from the crew rest areas for us. And that worked out really well. So like you could be in a sky couch seat and maybe luck out like on those, but we knew that those flights were going to be full because people were going down for the women's world cup or whatever, but you could get a sky couch seat and be able to use it and just not have the bedding. Um, another funny thing, you know, so I saw my cousins in Australia who hadn't, I hadn't been in Australia in like 30 years and I hadn't seen them for like over a couple decades. And we were talking about when we were kids visiting each other, like we would like sleep on the floor of planes and stuff. And we were joking about how that's like not allowed anymore. And, you know, I don't know if you flew long haul when you were a kid, but like I distinctly remember like flying to Hong Kong and sleeping on the floor and stuff like that. The funniest thing is I heard an announcement on Qantas for like the first time I've ever heard it in my entire life. And they're like, you're not allowed to sleep on the floor which I'd never heard that announcement before. And it was just funny because we had just talked about that with my cousins like two days before. Yeah, I don't think I've ever flo slept on the floor. I mean, I've slept on the floor in a bunch of different places uh, while traveling, but I don't think I've ever slept on the floor like as a kid uh, on a plane. Uh, I think I've seen people, I think I've heard that announcement before. I think I've seen people do it. I didn't realize. So people were just like scattered all over the aisles and everything way back in the day and they didn't care. No, no, <laughs> no that, that would be... That would be terrible. No, it would be like, you know, I was sitting with my my mom and my sister, and then I would lie on the floor, like, in front of them. Um, and so, you know, it's oh, like yeah, second generation. That. It's second generation long haul kids life. Uh, we, we were remembering 
doing flights like that. But anyway, moving on, the second thing that I would do again, the Park Hyatt Auckland, uh, it's it's a great deal. I mean, compared to other Park Hyatts, like the Park Hyatt in New York, it's like $1,000 a night all the time. I think that the Park Hyatt Auckland is maybe 600 US per night. But what we did, and we've talked about it before, but I want to remind people, is we used a family rate. And so the family rate, if in a hotel offers it, you can get a second room for half price, basically. But the great thing is you can use the family rate even if your first room is booked with points. And the Park Hyatt Auckland is only a category five, I think. Whatever category it is, it was 20,000 points per night. And then with the family rate, we got a second room that was $250 per night. So overall, for our six nights, we it was 120,000 World of Hyatt points plus $1,500. I thought that was an awesome deal for the Park Hyatt Auckland. And Sean, I know you'd been there. It's been a long time. But the really awesome thing is there was like two doors room one and room two. And then I went in and I was like, oh, these rooms aren't even connecting. Like, what's the point? You know, and I was a little disappointed until I realized that the two doors actually were in little sub hallway and you could close these double doors to like close in your entire room to make it like an apartment that you can go back and forth through the hallway. And that was like an awesome setup. So, you know, it was essentially a suite putting the two rooms together. Um, And we had a king size bed on one and a queen size bed on the other. And it was perfect. The kids, you know, the kids all slept. Actually, we did all sorts of configurations, but for the most part, the kids slept on the king size bed, the three of them. And then the two of us had the queen, two bathrooms, two full bathrooms. Um, so it was pretty perfect. And again, for 20,000 points per night, $250 for the extra room. Since we're globalists, we got free breakfast, saw Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly. Even you probably know who Mia Hamm is, Sean, even though you're not a soccer fan. I've, I've heard uh, they her were name. staying at the Park Hyatt too. So, you know, great deal. She doesn't play anymore, though, right? She's just no, no, no. She's like she's like fifty. No, we saw her kids too, and uh, my wife was like, "She married Nomar, right? Nomar Garcia Para." And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Yeah, that kid looks like Noma." So yeah, Noma, good old Noma. Yeah, bringing back uh, Boston baseball from uh, from fifteen years ago. So yeah, the Park Hyatt looks great. I agree. That's an incredible deal there. I I can't imagine getting a better deal. I mean, two hundred fifty dollars a night for the extra room. I love it when they have those rooms that are a subset, like you said, where you have an outdoor door and then a little hallway and then you can go to your room. So that family rate is a great deal. And I think a lot of people probably don't think about it. So it's always a good reminder to do that. Now, the Park Hyatt's down by the water by the ferries, right? How is that location for you in visiting everything around Auckland? Yeah, the location was pretty great. It is in close to the central business district area of Auckland, but more out towards the water. So it's like quieter out there. There's a nice footbridge that you walk through the harbor to get there. And it's like near all the like fancy boats, super fancy boats, by the way, in the Auckland Harbor. I found Auckland to be like a little bit, I don't want to say rundown, but it wasn't like as, um, I guess I'm coming off of like Vancouver, which felt like very clean and nice from last year. And so it's a harbor port, but it, it just didn't have the same feel but you know it was like a 15 minute walk to like anything that we wanted to do and so um that was pretty great now that kind of leads me into like the next thing that uh, the first thing that i would have done differently and because you know we were watching two world women's world cup games we watched um norway versus the philippines which i gotta say probably the best atmosphere of any world cup game that i've been to uh including men's ones that i went to in brazil um, because the Philippines fans were 
like they took over that stadium and they were like so amped to just have a team and like and i don't think the philippines will ever make the men's world cup or it, it's really hard for them to do and just like the energy that was in there was spectacular and that's like one of the reasons why i think the world cup and the olympics are like awesome events but you know for the world cup even more so because the olympics just the way that there's so many different events it's it's it was just a great vibe and a great atmosphere but yeah because of those two games we just stayed in auckland the whole time like i said we we're at the park hyatt Auckland for six nights. I think if I were to do it again, though, I would rent a car earlier and use that to explore more. And I would drive my way through New Zealand. Um, There's just so much to see. And we felt like we really felt like we were missing out on a ton of New Zealand because, you know, we were just kind of stuck in Auckland. The furthest we got was to Hobbiton and the Waitomo Caves, which I would definitely do again. You know, I teared up going into Hobbiton because I'm such a huge Lord of the Rings fan. But uh, I and I would even that part I would have loved to do with a rental car myself. I, I just, I don't know, guided tours. We booked like a bus tour through Cheeky Kiwi Travel, which was, was awesome. But I just like the, to have the control and the independence myself. Yeah, New Zealand is an amazing country to drive around. My trip was in 2008, so been a while, obviously, since I was there. So it's interesting to hear about Auckland because in 2008 when I went there, I would say, and it's funny because you say Vancouver, because I would say that's the most comparable city in the world as far as feel to me. Auckland and Vancouver were very similar. As far as New Zealand itself, yeah, getting out of Auckland, it can be great. And it's not that big. And there's a lot within just a few hours drive of Auckland. Uh, You can go up north and go to, I think it's called 90 Mile Beach, which is up north of Auckland, which is spectacular. You have all the thermal stuff around. And the Waitomo Caves, you should talk about that. The glowworm caves are Amazing. I don't know. I really love it. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done, just kind of floating in and seeing all these, I mean, like thousands and thousands of glowworms. So that is the only way that I was able to convince Jess to go on the Hobbiton tour for me. I mean, she's like a kind of a Lord of the Rings fan, but, you know, it's a far – We the bus picked us up at like 5.30 a.m., you know, and it's like a small bus. It's not like a huge tour bus, um, and so it's like a little tight, and it's a three-hour drive to Hobbiton and the Waitomo Caves each way right so we just spent so much time on the bus and hobbiton was awesome but the waitomo caves you know that was definitely the highlight like that was the highlight for my kids <laughs> the tour driver was like huh not too many kids normally on these hobbiton tours and i was like uh i feel bad for dragging these kids along they haven't even seen lord of the rings um but uh the waitomo caves are awesome and that's that like that is actually the main reason why i wish we had had our own car because we went to waitomo and we only did the like one hour tour but i didn't realize there were and this is me not doing enough research there were other caves nearby maybe not with glowworms but my kids are like really into caves and you know like want to be splunkers and stuff like that and so we could have explored that whole region for like a half a day and so if we had had our own car and if we were like driving south towards Wellington, but like, you know, stopped in that area, we could have done Hobbiton one day, the Waitomo Caves and the other caves another day. Because there's a lot of cool different, at least on the brochure, it looks like there's a lot of cool different caves to explore and just all these crazy geographical features. I mean, I think New Zealand being on a fault line and being an island and like all, you know, ge- uh, ge- geology and stuff like that, like has made such dramatic landscapes and it would have been great to explore. And it was nice to drive through it on a bus, but um, I don't know about you, Sean, but like, I really enjoy driving through different scenery. And like when you, when you are the one driving, you can't fall asleep for it and you appreciate it at all. I think New Zealand is the ultimate place to do a road trip. It's the ultimate place. So you have the freedom just to stop. I know that 
you know, you would see a sign and be like, oh, this waterfall here. And then we would stop and go hike through a forest to go get it. And there is so much there as far as, you know, they have everything from glaciers to all the thermal stuff, uh, like place like Rotorua, where you have all these, you know, bubbling, you know, thermal areas, uh, spectacular scenery. There is just so much to see. And a lot of it, like you say, you can do research, but some of it you just kind of stumble across or you get the feel for it. And I feel like that's why it's so popular to to like do a camper van around New Zealand. A lot of people do that. Um, you can take a ferry between the two islands. So that's what we did. We started in Auckland, uh, ended down in Christchurch, but uh, did everything along the way. So we drove through the whole island, got to Wellington, took the ferry across. It's a car ferry. So we rented a car up in Auckland and dropped it off down in the South Island. But you can take the same car on the ferry, everything, and make it a you know a longer trip. I'd say at least two weeks is what you would want to do it if you want to see you know, Queenstown, Milford Sound, everything down on the South Island, plus uh, what you want to do on the North Island. But a lot of those little towns are really cool, too. And there's, like I said, there's just so much. And a lot of it I had never even heard of. What's funny is uh, there's a place on the South Island in the North Park called Poopoo Springs. And I wrote about this like 15 years ago when it was family around the world. And I was just on the cruise to Norway. Uh, and I met with some people that I've kind of met. They live in Las Vegas, believe it or not, but I've seen them over the years. They're miles and points people. And they're like, yeah, we were in New Zealand and we went to Poo Springs because you had talked about it. It's known as having the clearest water in the world, but it's this very like small place, remote town in the north south or the northern part of the southern island. And I was very proud that they went there. But there's all kinds of places like that to discover. Wait, so is this spelled Poo like Poo Platter or like Poo Poo? Like no, it's Maori. Doo-doo. So like the last numbers are Poo But if you type in P U P U Springs, you'll you'll find it. But it's a huge Maori word, so I can't say that's. It. That's awesome. Yeah, and this is where I will insert that it wasn't only the Women's World Cup that kept us in Auckland. Um, We had not done an international trip since before the pandemic. And now, you know, we have three kids um, and we did we've done two kids to Asia, but we haven't done three kids on such a long trip before. And so we were playing it a bit conservatively. And here's where I give a shout out to my wife and my kids. Um, They were great travelers. You know, it is. Like sometimes I wish it was just my wife and myself, like our friends um, who also live in the Boston area, they were down in New Zealand and they went on all these hikes on the South Island and stuff like that. And like Jess and I were like, oh, remember when we used to be able to do that? Like it's just stuff that at our kids' current stage with the youngest being five, like we just could not have done like a full day hike or not at least multiple days of that. Um, But all that being said, they were just really awesome uh, travelers and, you know, no problems on the planes, no problems in the hotels and just enjoying themselves minimum of whining. I feel like it was the perfect age. Like, I feel like, you know, I remember you said Sean Reese, like towards the end of the trip started getting whiny, uh, not whiny, but like complaining more. Um, and so I do think that like, even when my daughter's 11 next year, she's not going to be as amenable to like being dragged to Hobbiton and stuff like that. So it was, it was really a perfect timing for us to go with the kids. And then my parents joined us at, for, for different sections. They were like in and out. Like my dad had to visit family in Brisbane and stuff like that. So, um, and they are still, you know, my mom's slowing down, but still active enough to like go with us. And, you know, I know you've talked about traveling with your dad as well. It's not always the easiest thing, but you know, we really appreciated that time with them. So that was really good. And so they were with us in Auckland. Um, and then, you know, after we were done in Auckland, it was time to go to Australia, unless you have any other questions about New Zealand before we move on. 
No, I just want to like reiterate how good of a family travel destination New Zealand is. Uh, talking about all the natural stuff, which can be great with kids. But I just remember driving around New Zealand, and there's all kinds of like roadside stops, like mazes and like family centers to stop at. These aren't like huge ones like you see in the U.S., but you see them all over. And so there's just so much for families to do uh, in New Zealand all around, not only the natural stuff, but like fun stuff. There's places like Rotorua and, you know, Queenstown, the South Island. There's these amazing uh, mountains that you can go up with, like go-karting down. And there's just all kinds of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of that sort of fun stuff. Not a lot of amusement parks. There is an amusement park in Auckland that you didn't go to called Rainbow's End. Shame on you, uh, Joe. You could have uh, taken one of those six days and and gone down there. It's not very much, but my point is there's a lot within the within the country. So if people are thinking about New Zealand as like a family destination, again, it's been a while since I've been there, but I think Joe probably would uh, would agree with me that it's a great family travel spot. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if my relatives weren't in Sydney, we would have stayed in New Zealand for two weeks and skipped going to Australia. I mean, it's something that has been on Jess on my bucket list for a long time. And we we're. it's funny that you say it was 2008 when you went because we're like, could we get back within the next decade? You know, and it's crazy to think about, right? Like one of our kids will be in college maybe or will be college age by then. Um, last shout out for New Zealand, and this is for my Asian diaspora out there. On the Air New Zealand flight down, there was a show called Sik Fanla, which means eat in Cantonese. And it was the six-episode series of just all the Asian immigrant-influenced food in New Zealand. And I don't know if that, like, incepted me or whatever, but it had me looking for Chinese food all over New Zealand. And I noticed, like, a lot of Asian and a lot of Chinese Kiwis, um, you know, New Zealand people. And so that was pretty interesting to, you know, find that, which, which makes sense, right? It's only, only quote unquote, 10 hours from Southeast Asia to New Zealand, but uh, it was, it was good to get some good uh, Chinese food down there. Back when I was there, there was a lot of Chinese restaurants slash fish and chip shops. So they would be Chinese restaurants, but they would also do takeaway fish and chips and always owned by, you know, by Chinese immigrants, usually like the sweetest people and like the best food and really good food. And it's always who somebody said that. And I think it's in this space and I don't remember who said it, but so you can always get good Chinese food no matter where you are in the world, because the culture, you know, the food is always and it's true. Like I had Chinese food in so many places and it's always a solid meal and usually authentic and usually, you know, good. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Is that something you do? I mean, you probably you probably are, you know, well, you probably are more into is, that than I am. I don't know. That's, I mean, that's... my kids, like when they're on the road, you know, the crazy thing is like, this actually hurts us the most at Disney World. Like the healthiest food that my kids eat, like when they'll eat vegetables and they'll eat everything is always Asian food. Um, in fact, they prefer Japanese to Chinese, um, which Japanese doesn't have as many vegetables, but you can get some in like ramen and udon and stuff like that. So we're always looking for Asian food when we're on the road. And I'll get back to that when we get to Sydney. Really quick on the flight to Sydney, something that I'll definitely do the same is coincidentally book a flight that is right next to the U.S. women's national team flying to Australia at the same time. They were supposed to be going to Sydney with us, but since they didn't win the group, they were going to Melbourne instead. Melbus, Melbs. I, I think you I think you pretty much nailed the pronunciation of that. I, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, I was down there for a long time. But uh it was crazy. Like I was I was in security and then I just like looked across from me and like Lindsay Horan, who was like the captain, she was just standing there. And then I we actually like got our bags like 
you know, they have those automatic things where you ever have this, Sean, when you're going through security and they have the automatic one where like either it keeps going straight to you or it turns left and goes to the thing. And, you know, we were watching each one of our bags and, you know, the stress every time it stops. And then a couple of our bags had to be reinspected. So we're there for a long time. We watched the entire US, U.S. women's team come through security. They didn't take any pictures with us or didn't take any pictures with anyone there. But when we got to our gate, their gate happened to be next to ours and they had to use the bathroom on our side of the gate. <laughs> so you stocked them in the bathroom, followed them to <laughs> the bathroom and asked for an autograph? I did not stock them in the bathroom. But they also had to walk past us to go get food. And I was like, it blew my mind. Get this, Sean. The Netherlands team, I saw them going up to the Air New Zealand lounge. So I was like, what's up, U.S. team? You couldn't, like, spring for lounge access? for uh, Although I think there's only the Air New Zealand lounge in Auckland, and the U.S. team was flying Qantas. So I'm guessing that's why. But it was funny because, like, they were all going to get takeout from, like, the regular airport restaurants. And I was like, U.S. women's soccer team, they're just like us. But uh, if they won, you know, then they would have uh, been in the lounge eating five-star meals, I, but they lose and they don't get nothing. That's what I was implying. Yeah, that's what I was implying. But awesome moment. They were all coming by with food, and I was like, you know, I, I'm not going to, like, ask. There were some people who were, like, asking every single person passing by for pictures, and I was like, I'm not going to do this. But I did ask Alex Morgan for take a picture with my girls and she did. And so that was pretty awesome. Really special moment. Um, especially for my oldest daughter who is, you know, the big, you know, we went to the women's world cup in, um, France together in 2019. We, we plan to go. Um, and so that was a really awesome experience that I wanted to share, but yeah, we used points. Um, I think I said it on this podcast, but like there was a time where I don't know, I panic transferred points to Qantas for, I can't even remember what stupid reason I did that. I used those points. I had to top it off a little um, because I actually booked for my mom as well. But we used that for uh, a Qantas. Um, I guess it's a long haul flight technically. It's only like three and a half hours. But um, we used that to fly Qantas over to Sydney. And then I will say that something that I would do the same, which kind of surprises me, is I did not book the hotels in Sydney. My dad booked them. And Sean, I hate to say it, but we did not stay at a Hyatt. So there are two Hyatts in Sydney, the Park Hyatt, which is like right within view of the Opera House. So it's like across, it's called Circular Key, which is, it's actually a U, but like Park Hyatt's on one side, Opera House is on the other. John, have you stayed there? You seem like you, it's a place you may have stayed before. Again, it was 15 years ago. Uh, So I stayed in Darling Harbor at like a Holiday Inn or something. This is backpacking days. So that was probably a nice hotel for us. Right in basically in the middle of Chinatown, which was amazing because we're talking about, you know, Chinese food and stuff. I remember we had this amazing, you know, food court that we had found. And it was all, you know, not American style Chinese food that you would think of. It was like you would find, uh, you know, in uh, Chinatown or something like that. Uh, real authentic stuff, but good to have that as sort of an alternative to the fried. We had been traveling, you know, fish and all the sort of Australian it's food. Fish and so. chips every day. Yeah, it's, so uh, it was, ridiculous. I just remember we ate at that food court in Chinatown every single night, and, you know, it was it was amazing. And it was maybe a 15, 20-minute walk to where the Park Hyatt is, but I didn't get to stay there. Definitely spent some, some time there. The Park Hyatt looks out right over Luna Park, Joe. Did you go to Luna Park? So we know you didn't go to Rainbow's End in Auckland, but surely you went to Luna Park in Sydney. Uh, you know the answer to this. You're just setting me up for insult. But yeah, I didn't go to Luna Park either, although Luna Park looks like a lot of fun. And we thought about going, but we ended up having too many things to do. You know, it's funny because like I was going to say if I was going to stay at a Hyatt 
in Sydney, it would be the Hyatt Regency, which is in Darling Harbor, which is pretty close to Chinatown, like you said. Where we actually stayed, my dad booked this place called Maritime World Suites, and he booked us a three-bedroom suite for about 500 US per night, which for the seven of us was perfect. And, you know, the food court that you found, like, we were in a building with a food court like that. And it was crazy. Sean, I don't know when the last time you've been to Sydney, but it felt so much like being in Hong Kong or like in any Asian city. It was like I was in some Asian city, except for everyone spoke English and there was, you know, 15% more white people or something like that. Because it was just like so many people. It was really bustling. Like all the signs were in Chinese. Um, there was Asian food everywhere. Like I said, we our kids like Japanese food. So there was sushi, there was ramen. Uh, the first night we found a Din Tai Fung. So we had that the first day, you know, uh, soup dumplings and things like that. There was a, you know, how like in Asia and like Hong Kong and stuff like that, they have those like bread stores, you know, like bakeries. So they had that. So we ate breakfast there every day. So it was like a perfect location. We didn't even have to walk from Darling Harbor to where we were probably would have been about like five, 10 minutes. We like just walked downstairs. Um, oh, and the other thing that made it feel like Hong Kong is like we were staying on like the 70th floor. You know, we had to take one of those super fast elevators up. Like it's like, and the other Hong Kong type thing is like the first half of the like floors one through 36 are like commercial and, um, you know, uh, residents and whatever. And then the next like 30 floors are hotel. And so all that stuff uh, combined, it, it just felt, it felt so much like home, like being in Hong Kong. And I was really surprised by all that. And then of course I saw my cousins as well. And we had like a traditional Chinese meal in Chinatown there. Um, and so, and my cousins, they all speak Cantonese way better than I do. Um, and so it, it was just, it was just a really great time. And I was like, if we had stayed even at the Hyatt Regency, which is pretty close, I don't think we would have had that same experience. So it was really nice to do that. Yeah. It's good to hear. And my memories are a little different. I hadn't actually been to Asia yet when I visited uh, there, but I do remember that I loved the Chinatown area and the food. And I loved, I think it's a very walkable city, especially from that whole area down to where like the opera house is, the botanical gardens. Uh, you have a cool monorail that runs through Sydney. You know, I'm nerdy about trains, you know, similar kind of to how the Seattle monorail works, where it sort of runs a little bit through the, the CBD, not really the most you know dynamic system, but there's just a lot of cool things. And it's a beautiful city. As we talked about Luna Park, that's a very historic old amusement park. Think of maybe Australia's Coney Island would be kind of the most similar comparison. It sits right under the Harbor Bridge on the other side of where like the Park Hyatt, the main part of the CBD of Disney, of Sydney is, Disney, of Sydney is. Uh, it's a cool park, but yeah, I, I love Sydney. I cannot wait to go back. I've had a couple trips that I, since then that I've, you know, booked and not been able to do it, but it's high on my list to get back in New Zealand too. And I, I think people should definitely uh, put these on their list. And then if you are into amusement parks, not saying that everybody who listens to this is, but if you are planning a trip to Australia, you can also go up further north to the Sunshine Coast and they have a really interesting, it's like the Disney World of Australia up there. They have a few amusement parks, really kind of heavily themed parks. So there's a lot to do. Like if you're thinking about the family perspective, more to do than you could really spend time doing in Sydney, Melbourne, because uh, I'm not going to try to say it. You know what's funny, Joe? I'm going to go off track just for a second. But when you sell it, said Melbourne, it just reminded me of a, an episode of your old podcast, the old Saverosity podcast, where Trevor, very he would always very be very specific about how trying to say Melbourne. And it just always gave me a crack up. So shout out to Trevor. 
Because he was, he would, you know, just exactly <laughs> how you say it, but he wanted to get exactly, the accent perfect. I know exactly what you're talking about, but he always seemed, Trevor, if you're listening, you always seem like you try too hard. You know, I got, you got to play it off cool. But uh, yeah, no. But he nailed but, it. I mean, he would, he'd be, he but did, he would he be does, very specific. He, and he I does don't nail I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Luna Park looks, when you say Coney Island, the way that it lights up at night, and if you're on Circular Key, like looking across the harbor to that, it is really. It's like an iconic picture, um, almost as iconic as Opera House, which I went to the Opera House like every single day just because, I don't know, it was just so cool being there. In fact, my dad, we, we took my daughter to a concert there, and it was just really cool like being inside there. Um, it's like the first classical music concert that I haven't fallen asleep to in a very long time. Um, my dad used to make me go like all the time. And so, um, and then the Harbor Bridge was cool too. I did not know people like climb, hike over the Harbor Bridge. Uh, you had told me you did the Harbor Bridge. Did you mean you did the climb where you no. go all the way up on the spans or you just walked across it? No, I get vertigo too bad. I've seen, I saw people do it. They Even back then they did it. Uh, it looks crazy and incredible. But no, we just walked. So we walked across to Luna Park, just walked across on the normal sidewalk. But it does look crazy and you can do a similar thing in, in Auckland that you can do in Vegas, too. And the Auckland Tower, you can jump off the side of it. I've done that here in Vegas. But for something like walking over a bridge, even if I'm strapped in, that's just too exposed. I don't know. I, I felt uncomfortable. Like, so my mom, we were, like, on a ferry. Like, oh, shout out to Sydney Public Transportation. Um, the trains, uh, buses, the light rail, which is, like, the kind of the trolley thing and the ferries like we took all that stuff we took it all the time it was so easy they have um an a uh, card that kind of works like the octopus card um the opal card that works for kids if you are an adult you can just use nfc payments and things like that so that was all really awesome we were on the ferry and my mom was like oh yeah people are on the harbor ridge and i just thought she meant like people are just and I was like, how can you see that? Like, I thought she meant people are just like walking across, you know, like you're walking across the Brooklyn Bridge or something. And then like probably the third time she said it, I looked up and then on top of like the arch, I saw like groups of people. And I was like, who does that? Um, although both my wife and daughter were like, oh, we want to do that. Uh, and so maybe next time we go. And the, the other funny thing, just, you know, to bring it to Disney in Soren, like I had never noticed, but when you go through Sydney and Soren, um, you can see the people up on the Harbor Bridge just like in real life. So I, I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, and, you know, maybe I don't think I could do it, but you know, I, I support anyone who wants to do it. It's like 250 bucks or something like that. Although, you know, when else would you get a chance to do that? My last thing to say about Sydney is the Botanical Gardens, which are right behind the Opera House if you haven't ever been there before. So you'll definitely be in the area of these Biggest spiders I've ever seen in my life at those botanical gardens. They were everywhere when we visited, which would have been like late December, early January. So different time of year than where you're going. But I'm talking about spiders that were bigger than my hands and on like every tree. And apparently they're not like venomous. This I forget the name of the spider that was there. But it's like, you know, when you go into a haunted house and they have those big fake spiders everywhere. It was like that, but it was real. And that was just a reminder of like all the crazy wildlife they have in Australia. Again, those ones aren't venomous, but I've never seen like hundreds and hundreds of spiders everywhere bigger than my hand. And that was like a horror movie. So, but I, that could just be the winter. Did you go to the botanical gardens? Uh, we didn't because it was the winter, but because you bring up wildlife. Yeah. I should say it was the summer there. Winter. Yeah. It was. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. Like it was, it was winter when we were there. It was summer when you were there in the, um, 
my my relatives were like, oh, you should have come in the summer when it's so much nicer. But actually, I like the cooler weather. It sucks that the sun sets earlier, but the cooler weather, um, some things were closed, but it made things pretty comfortable to travel. Australia is hot, man, Joe. Joe, in the summer, wow. I mean, it's brutal. Like, you're talking... That's uh, not, that's like over well, 40 it, degrees uh, Celsius. Celsius. And, if the yeah. if the winter was that warm, like it was 70 one day, you know, I was like, the summer must be really brutal. Speaking of the wildlife, uh, I don't know if it was like this. You know, things changed 15 years, but I saw people eating um, along. You know, there's this like walkway kind of that runs underneath the opera house or near the opera house, and I saw people eating outside like al fresco, and the seagulls are mental they were like just swarming around like i don't even know why anyone would want to eat there and and like it's to the point where everyone had like these covers that they would put over their food before they eat it and i noticed all throughout the south pacific in auckland there were birds inside restaurants like all the time flying around like i don't know how birds evolved down there but um and i was i I just thought it was like so funny because you know the seagulls were just swarming i was like why would you want to eat here I don't remember that. That's something Jasmine would be super paranoid about uh, if, if that happened. I, it probably was the case that we just didn't notice it. But, yeah, uh, no it's thank probably you. overpriced to eat there anyway. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, even if you were just getting a drink, like, I don't want all these seagulls, like, swarming around me. Um, so My know, wife would was... literally be paranoid that bird poop was coming yeah. in. That's all yeah, she would talk about that. the entire time. So it would just well, ruin the experience. Well, she's right. I, I'm, I'm with Jasmine. <laughs> okay. That, that was problematic. Um, I will say one thing that I would have loved to do differently in Australia is um, we went to hike the Blue Mountains the last day that we were there. And it was really beautiful there. There's this rock formation called the Three Sisters. But there are a lot of hikes around there. And I think if I were to do it again, I would rent a car or get a hotel like closer to the Blue Mountains because it took us almost two hours to get there. <laughs> According to my dad, I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, what is true for sure is that Australia has instituted all these like camera based speed traps. So like they just record you and they, the warnings say average speed. So I'm like, oh, they take your speed between two cameras and then find you because of that. That is definitely true. What I'm not sure of, but my dad says, and from at least the one day of driving that I did, it seems like it's true is that uh, Australians are like paranoid about speeding now. So when Google Maps tells you it's going to be an hour and 45 minutes, it's going to be an hour and 45 minutes because you can't speed your way out of it. So because it's so far away, you can't like get out there, do some hikes, and then go back all the way to Sydney, then get out there again. And it looked like we could definitely have done a day or two worth of hiking. And by the time our kids get, we can get our kids back out there, they're going to be old enough to do the full hikes. There was this one hike that went, went all the way to this like ruined castle, like it had been ruined by like a storm or something like that. That used to be like a lookout to the three sisters. Anyway, it was really beautiful out there again, because we were there in the winter. Um, the hiking was very like mild and we weren't like sweating and it wasn't miserable. Just some of the best views that I've seen. Um, and again, just to kind of bring it back to like the family travel thing, somehow my dad ended up doing the entire like hour hike that we did with my youngest daughter, the five-year-old. And they were like on their own. Like we were like separated as a group. And I just, it just cracks me up thinking about what did they talk about the whole time? Because they were talking the whole time. Like every time we like passed by them, they were just like chatting about something. And like, those are like kind of precious moments that 
you know, I don't know what they, I have no idea what the heck they talked about, but they had a nice little chat for an hour, hour and a half when they were hiking together. And, you know, that's kind of the awesome stuff that you can do um, when you're traveling with family, if you're lucky enough, like we are um, to have grandparents who are able enough and who want to travel with us. You know, my dad, his, he visits his family in Sydney every year, but still it was, it was great to be there with them. Was this your first time driving on the left? I'm assuming not. No, uh, last time was in Scotland. So that was when my son was a baby. So that was like seven years ago. So in Auckland, I was a little bit iffy about it. Um, but then by the time we were in Sydney, I, w- I was fine. Um, and I was actually more worried about renting a car in LA when I got back and, you know, switching my brain back. You know, I don't know if you do this, but like the second that I got into New Zealand and I knew I was going to drive, I started actively like in my brain, just looking at the cars and just keep telling myself to be on the left, be on the left. We would be like walking on the street and I would be like, stay to the left kids. Don't get in people's way. Stay to the left, which was one to not have my kids like run into a bunch of people, but also two to like get my brain trained to uh, drive properly. Except for the UK, because the UK makes no sense because they drive on the left. But in in London specifically, most people walk on the right. It's, it's insane. It's insane. I thought I was, I thought I was taking crazy pills. That, that is that is how it is right yeah. yeah so and then um and then there was this one there was this one stairway or something in sydney where it very clearly told you to go on the right and i was like just make up your mind guys come on this yeah dumb american here although i will okay. say japan is very much the same way so they drive on the left in japan and their escalators 90 percent of them the up escalator will be on the left or whatever and but then 10 percent of them are just switched and then in Japan, like every station, they have like lines on the floor. So they tell you which side to walk on, you know, traffic control and these busy subway stations. And sometimes the way to go forward is on the right. Sometimes they want you to walk on the left and it switches and it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So I guess th- that whole rule of just like watch what side people drive on. They're going to walk on the same side doesn't really work everywhere, but uh, I guess it does yeah, and, in most places. And then. And then I was trying to like use the rule by like, oh, just follow the lead of what the locals are doing. But because of the World Cup, there were like so many tourists, I couldn't tell who was a tourist and who was not a tourist. Like, you know, because they're not always talking, right? Obviously, if I heard their accents, I could have figured it out. And so I was just, yeah, it was. <laughs> just it everybody was, bumping into each other on the street, this is, basically. This is this is like the most silly and neurotic thing, but it's just like it was a level of stress that I did not anticipate thinking about what side of the road to walk on. You know, it's yeah. one of those things when you travel, like these things you just don't think about. And then when you're in the moment, that's like, what the heck? Um, anyway, we're running late. So just yeah. to wrap things up, uh, I will say that I do wish, you know, and with our summer schedule, since we're both teachers, part of us was like, we could do like a month and a half in Australia or just down there in general um, with the kids, because I really wish we had been able to take um, intra-Australia flights you know, my daughter was really, like, really disappointed. We didn't get to see the Great Barrier Reef. Um, you know, we could have gone out to Perth or um, Cairns or wherever. Um, Cairns? No, Cairns. Um, and so there's just a lot of stuff. It's, it's like... Another impressive pronunciation, Joanne. Thank you, Sean. I'm just here to... But see, you made me self-conscious of it now, so I had to hesitate. It's like, you know, Australia is like the U.S. There's just like so much to see. It's It's such a big continent um, and so much to explore. So definitely would have loved to do that. Um, the flight home went great. It was a Qantas A380. I'm not that much of a plane nerd. My son is getting there, but um, 
I was really excited. That was the first A380 I've ever flown. Uh, got to go on the upper deck because booked three seats. Thank you, Spencer, for your alert nine months ago or whatever. Um, three seats in business for uh, my wife and the girls. And then my son and I sat in premium economy, which was fine since I wasn't sleeping that much. Um, you know, it worked. And actually the soft product in premium economy uh, on Qantas was pretty good. Um, but getting to fly the A380, man, that thing is huge. Like I was like, when are we going to, when are we going to take off? You know, it just felt like it took forever for us to get going. But that was a real uh, treat for my son and myself, the plane nerds. So that was really cool. And yeah, I think premium economy or maybe even economy itself, you know, these newer planes, like you don't feel as dehydrated, especially the Dreamliner. I've really noticed that. Um, And so that was really good and wish I could have flown business home. But, you know, flying in premium economy wasn't bad and getting it via award space um, was really good as well. Finally got to use some of those Cathay Pacific miles that uh, I transferred during the great Amex scare of 2020 or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, glad you finally got to burn those. It's the thing that I think everybody in this hobby does. We focus way too much on the seat and where we're going to go and, you know, worrying, are we going to get business class? Are we going to get it? But at the end of the day, and this is just how most people in the world travel, right? They don't have the sort of option to ever really do business class for these high-end bookings, so they don't think about it. But, you know, you get on the plane and you deal with it, and then at the end you're wherever you were going to be and you sort of forget about it, right? So, you know, it's okay. Any any flight is okay. I think the longest one I've done is 15 hours in coach, which is about as long as it gets. Uh, the Singapore to New York flights, they don't even have economy. So, you know, it's fine, right? You you survive. And for me, like legroom is the biggest issue. So if I have a little bit of extra legroom or I'm flying with my daughter and I'm like, if I was flying next to like strangers for 15 hours on a plane with barely any legroom, that would, you know, that would be a miserable thing. But as long as I have a little bit of ability to stretch out premium economy, I think is perfect. And, you know, just watch some movies and then you're at Disneyland. Like I said, bringing it back full circle, I was once again thinking about Sean while I was on vacation. And I remember you saying specifically, you know, you'll get through the flight no matter what, which is totally true. You know, it just, it blows my mind. uh, And I'm sure it does like all of us who love travel. It just blows my mind that you can like, like I was in Sydney three days ago, you know, I was like, maybe that's more than halfway across the world given the hemispheres and stuff like that, you know, and it's just, flying is just amazing. It's like, a, it's like a miracle. Right. And so, you know, no matter how you have to fly and thinking back to the days where I used to like sleep on the floor, like going to Hong Kong or whatever, we had nothing to do on the plane for those 14 hours. Like now that we have all these movies on demand, we have our iPads. If the movies on demand aren't good, like even if you're sitting in economy, like you have ways to pass the time, which we didn't used to have when I had to sleep on the floor um, of those old school United jets. So we don't have attention spans anymore though, Joe technology has taken our attention span. So I feel like it's an even like before people actually had attention span so they could deal with the flight without needing to be stimulated every two minutes. It's funny you bring that up because we flew from SNA John Wayne airport to San Francisco to like meet up with my wife and her mom was in San Francisco at the time as well to take our final flight home. And so on the one hour flight between John Wayne and San Francisco, I was like, I was like, no screens for for the kids. Oh, it was just me and the three kids as well. So it's the first time I had flown just me and three kids. Yeah. So now in retrospect, I should have just let them use screens. It would have been easier. That was like no screens. I thought they were gonna die. It was like a, it was like an hour. You know, that, yeah, it was an hour. Uh, that tracks. Wheels 
wheels up to wheels down. It was an hour, but uh, they figured it out. You know, they had some paper, they did some drawings. Um, I was trying to like watch a movie on my phone and I was sitting with the five-year-old. She's like, you said no screens. Why you get to watch a screen? I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> so I put it away and there, it, was, it was like a, it was a regional jet. So there were no, there were no like um, in-seat screens. And so I just sat with my thoughts for 20 minutes, probably thinking about you again, Sean. Um, and so, uh, it, but you know, we survived. Sounds like an amazing trip and, uh, glad it finally, I mean, you talked about it for so long. Weren't sure if it was going to happen. I'm glad this actually happened. And especially with all the world cup stuff and, you know, getting to see the team at the airport, all the little cool stuff that happened along the way. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. I will say that, you know, if you have any kids or you yourself are interested in women's soccer at all, or really even soccer at all. I've been to two women's world cups and I've been to one men's world cup and experience wise, like the women's world cups are so much better. Like the fans are much more positive. They're friendly. The tickets are so much cheaper, um, getting around. It's like a little bit less crazy. They have fan fests to watch the games, but they're not as, you know, I watched, I did a fan fest in, uh, on the Copacabana in Rio. And this was for the U S game, the men's game in 2014. Like I thought, I was going to be crushed to death when I was leaving. You know, it was not a fun experience at all uh, leaving. The game was fine, you know? So the women, the women's game, it's just much more accessible. And so if you have any interest at all, I think that's the World Cup to go to. It might come to the U.S. in 2027, so that might change things. It's almost better that it's in other countries. But uh, it was a really positive experience for everyone. And even uh, my, my youngest daughter, who is the princess one, uh, you know, all she cares about princesses. Like when we were done with the whole thing, she's like, I like soccer now. And I was like, all right, cool. Job well done, uh, dad. Job well done. So uh, I think we're so long. So uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Yes, you can find me at As a Joe Flies. If you're interested in the Disneyland portion, um, we will be talking about that on Disney Deciphered. So you can check that out there. Um, what about you, Sean? At Miles to Memories all over social media on X facebook i was just saying x to see joe's facial reaction because i haven't seen him since the name change but all over (laughs) at miles memories all over social media mtmpodcast.com you can find links to subscribe to the show links to apply for cards if you want to uh if you want to help support us and everything we do post podcast videos at miles to memories.com thanks so much for listening talk to you next time see you